Good evening, America. Election 2022 went from a wave to a ripple to Trump attacking DeSantis and Yokin. Oh man, how does it? How, how do? How do these things go? I mean, Trump literally tweeted out or truth social ad, whatever you want to call it. Yunkin sounds Chinese to me. Mm. Election 2024 now has begun. Uh, next Sunday, Waterbake uh, will actually air a rerun as I'll be filming a live show in Canada, Waterloo. But don't worry, that show will be recorded and dropped the following Sunday for Thanksgiving after, you know, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. It'll be affectionately labeled live from northern Montana. Just just kidding, Canadians. Uh, we have been working hard to upgrade our club member experience, and most recent upgrade includes a club members only social media experience. So you can actually go to fightlapfeast.com, log in. A lot of our club members are already getting along together in the uh, in the social media experience. So all our club members can now log in to fightlapfeast.com and enjoy getting to know one another, network with each other, please. You bunch of like minded friends, and you have the luxury of doing this without the threat of big tech censorship. That's it. So log in. Kick the tires around, post some family pictures. Let's build a community for those who like to fight, laugh, and feast. Uh, today, we have a water break panel to talk election 2022. So grab your best scotch, the Dr. Pepper, and enjoy the show. Uh, but first, Gravity Jack. Gravity Jack is a full-service digital agency specializing in the development of a virtual and augmented reality experiences, mobile apps, blockchain, and Web3 projects. Founded in 2009 as the first American agency to offer augmented reality, they even patented it. They own the patents to AR and VR. It's incredible. Gravity Jack digital experiences have been a source of innovation for small businesses, Fortune 500 companies, and U.S. military. Get your vision in motion at gravityjack.com. They're our latest corporate partners and really like those guys and what they're doing. And this whole AR, VR thing is really interesting to follow. So Cannonball or Belly Flop? You know, uh, throughout this week, Psalm 20 kept coming into my mind, and we used this psalm for the week, uh, for the psalm of the week for our show on Wednesday. And it has been an encouragement uh, this particular week. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the Lord our God. Elections should not shake us or cause us to despair. We don't, we don't trust in the election gods, and, and whether the election goes our way or against us, we should be growing in our trust for, for our God who is sovereign over all things. He gives us kings. He takes them away. It is, it is no secret that our nation is in trouble. While the Democrats voted for a dead candidate that actually won his election this, this last week and a stroke victim who also won his election, Republicans are not much better in some of the candidates that we put forward. I'm convinced that we need to work harder over the coming years to win the culture of what it means to be truly conservative. We have to get away from the jelly rhino ideology and the spineless Republican candidates that refuse to fight. And, and one of my goals over the next two years is to work on casting a true and beautiful vision of what it means to be conservative, as I said on the show before. And the blessing, really, of, of what true conservatism is to our society and culture. The Democrats' ideology is destroying our culture. Okay, They're attacking the nuclear family. They're destroying our children, kids' drag shows, our economy, inflation, and they're attacking the very foundations of what truth is. In fact, they don't even know what truth is. 
ultimately our nation won't change until our hearts change. And so this is where your big prayer should be. We, we desperately need Reformation revival in our country and may God grant us that work in our lifetime. It would be amazing to see a genuine work of Reformation revival in our lifetime. You know, a, a, a truly second great awakening. With that said, the red wave was more of a kind of a red ripple. Uh, now, we did manage to capture the House and possibly even the Senate, so it's, it's even probably a little better than a ripple. Um, but even we aren't sure if we're going to capture the Senate yet. That's still to be determined. More on that here in a minute. I want to walk you through our local and statewide election results and then get to the nationwide elections along with highlight some races that are still of interest. So quickly, bear with me, those who aren't in Idaho, but even what, what happens in Idaho I think should be of some interest. Um, there were three bright spots here in Idaho. First, Raul Labrador easily won his race for attorney general. This is really important to check our governor's authority in Idaho. Raul seems to be a good conservative, uh, and, and I genuinely believe he'll hold our governor and lieutenant governor accountable. Secondly, this is important, and you need to know about this, and this might be a problem in your state too. Idaho's constitutional amendment SJR 102 passed. So this was on our ballot and up for the people and it passed. This amendment was very important to get through as it allows legislators to bring themselves back into session without the governor calling them back into session. So it was believed under our previous constitution without this amendment that only the governor in Idaho could call back legislative session in an emergency. Legislative session cannot call themselves back in an emergency. Only the governor can. And so, but this is important for the separation of powers. Okay. It confirms and makes obvious the separation of powers embedded in Idaho's constitution. Uh, Brad, Libble, Brad Little prohibited legislators call themselves back into sessions during this emergency reign under COVID. And, and so this, this um, amendment that was passed we need to spell out to guys like Little that Idaho does not serve a monarch. So that was really good that that passed, but it barely passed, passed like by like 20,000 votes. And other states might have similar problems, and you need to be aware of that. Thirdly, other elections across the state to note, Scott Herndon won, uh, Heather Scott won, and Bruce Scogg all won their elections, re-elections also. Some of them, uh, Bruce Scogg and Heather were re-elected. So I'm looking forward to seeing their impact in this coming legislative session. Be in prayer for them and encourage them if you're in Idaho. And, of course, if you aren't in Idaho, we appreciate your prayers too. Now, lastly, in this, my what I'm about to say here, of course, is still talking through some of the stuff that happened in Idaho, but you need to be aware of this too. It is, it is no surprise that our governor, our rhino governor, Brad Little, won his re-election bid. Um, but it still should concern us that he was re-elected. He freaked out, lost his mind, shutting down the economy, our churches and schools, and all the while refusing to be held accountable for his unconstitutional actions. Now, this is a side note, but, but not really. A lot of politicians made money, chunks of money off the PPP loans during COVID, in, including, I mean, men, members of your local city council. Just Google PPP tracking. Okay, there's, uh, uh, it's all public. All the data is public. And I did in preparing for the show and, and come to find out our current mayor, Art Bedke, when he was on city council, he was overseeing you know community members being arrested like me. And he raked in two PPP loans. Two. Not just one. Now, while I'm sympathetic to businesses who took the money, 
because polit- politicians shut them down at the threat of gun and badges. You know, the police who were behind this. The perverse incentives for politicians is egregious, reprehensible, and should never have our trust again. Politicians vote to shut you down, and they make money. Uh, you know, I got forgiveness all day, but, you know, no no trust. Little led this charge, and your governor in most states led this charge, and, and, and Little is no conservative, not at all. But incumbents are hard to get out of office, so we have to do a better job putting forward better candidates in the primaries. We need to start focusing on the primaries a lot better than we have. I think the voter turnout for primaries is usually 50% less than what happens in November. That is where our efforts need to, efforts need to be focused. Now, on, on to some national highlights, or I mean, I guess if you can call them that. Election integrity. It is no surprise that Pennsylvania and Arizona are having election problems this past week. I mean, and it's hard to trust their results. Even if Republicans come out on top in Arizona, I'm sorry. It's hard to trust your results. Florida elections received the overhaul from the hanging Chad debacle after a 2000 presidential race, and results of their races are now known within hours of the election. Within hours. That's a big state. When you build in delays and counting updates and more delays, Our first world elections will turn into third world results. That's crazy. We got to fix that. We got to work on election integrity. All right. On to Arizona, Georgia, and Nevada. I'm going to talk about the Senate races here. The balance of the Senate hinges on the results in these three states. Now, Nevada's looking like it'll end up with the Republicans in the hands of the Republicans. So the fate of the majority of the Senate is now down to Georgia and Arizona. As I mentioned already, Arizona election integrity does not have my confidence. But regardless, it looks like as of right now, as of today, this would be Sunday night, the seat will remain with the incumbent Democrat. Now, I think there's still plenty of room to wiggle there. I think there's still something like uh, 600,000 votes that need to be counted. So there's plenty of opportunity for the for the Republican uh, senator, uh, senator to dethrone the incumbent. So this leaves us with Georgia. If Arizona goes Democrat, then we're down to Georgia. Now, Georgia is heading off into a runoff in December, and I believe Herschel will win the runoff for basically two reasons. First, the Libertarian candidate will no longer impact the results, and he did impact the results. Uh, and he won't. He no longer will impact the results because he's not in the runoff. The runoff is for the top two um, candidates, and most of the libertarian votes will probably go to Herschel. Most of them, and if he gets fifty percent of them, then he's going to beat Warnock. Secondly, the Stacey Abrams uh, draw in the governor's race will also be absent. You know, because she's not running in a runoff because Kent Kent won that race. There's no runoff for the governor. This runoff will be tight. I, I do believe it'll still be tight. And Walker's not a guarantee. But that's kind of my two cents from Idaho that we it looks like I think we'll get the Georgia's race. But again, election integrity. I, I don't trust Georgia. They didn't fix anything. Um, same for Arizona. They didn't fix anything. Now, let's talk about quality of candidates uh, and Trump and DeSantis. A lot of pundits are saying that the Republican Party lacked quality of candidates which is what prohibited the red wave. I kind of think that this is an odd analysis, given the Democrats voted for a dead guy, as already mentioned. They voted for a stroke victim, and they they voted for AOC again. Those are all horrible, horrible candidates. There's no quality there. Now, 
to be fair, I do believe Oz was a carpetbagger and a horrible candidate. He was horrible. He was arguing for a 15-week nationwide abortion ban and stuff like that. I mean, he was just a horrible candidate. Uh, but I think there's some deeper issues at play here. Um, first, I, I think God is drawing lines and making things clearer than ever. For, for, for those who at least have one eye open can see this. Um, now, what I think is happening here is really what some might be calling, you know, kind of the balkanization of, of, of the parties or the balkanization of, of the vote. You know, COVID shocked a lot of people into better seeing reality, but that group is, is still very small. So the balkanization, I think, is, is still very small. This means that there are a lot of people out there who are still blind and, you know, ignorant or, you know, whatever label you want to put on it to the powers of darkness running the Democratic Party and to the cowardice found in the Republican Party. It's like we still think better of our politicians than I think we should. This brings me to my second point. Trump did a great job fighting mainstream media and the swamp, hands down, uh, all the while creating space for bold leadership. Okay. And, and he was a little bit of a, you know, bull in a China shop kind of thing, but there, there's, there's some bold leadership that he created. It's like Ted Cruz kind of started waking up, you know, some of these, uh, some of the politicians started acting more bolder. Now, of course, some of those strengths were also his weaknesses, as you see with him currently attacking Ron DeSantis and Yonkin. I think the way forward in all this is through governor Ron DeSantis's blueprint. DeSantis took what Trump started and he is making it better. DeSantis is bold. Uh, now, I think there's an argument that DeSantis kind of grew into that boldness, and I think I think he has a lot to credit Trump for. DeSantis is bold. He's fighting mainstream media. He's going after the woke culture, reducing taxes, not playing the COVID insanity game, and he's and the, his he's not doing the ass nine kind of you know Trump bit. DeSantis is the only incumbent. In the executive office since Ronald Reagan to make major gains in increasing the, his vote and demographics in his reelection victory. So, if you remember Ron, Ronald Reagan in his second uh, reelection, his reelection for president, he got, I mean, he crushed it. He got far more votes, far more states than he did in his first uh, uh, um, election. And, and so, Rand, Ron DeSantis is, is only this, I think, the second major you know uh executive office that has done this since reagan that's pretty impressive in florida now people not just conservatives i think this what this shows me is that that people want strong principled leadership they don't want the woke virus they don't want kids drag shows they don't want politicians um you know who won't fight for them that's the blueprint it's i think it's pretty simple I think Ron DeSantis created the blueprint right now for how to win elections and not only how to win elections, but how to gain the people's trust over the four years of, you know, um, uh, governorship and, and actually get more votes in the reelection. So obviously this is not Governor Little, this is not Dr. Oz, and this is not Mitch McConnell. I, I, I hope, I believe we will see some tectonic shifts over the next 20 years. And we need to insist that our leaders follow this blueprint. All this to say is that I think we need to steer the national conversation from President Trump running for office of governor, uh, from, excuse me, from President Trump running 
Um, I think, uh, two, we need to focus on, you know, I'm really encouraging people to focus on uh, pushing Governor Ron DeSantis to run in 2024. This is why I started, the, as you know, the first grassroots campaign um, uh, for DeSantis. You can go to DeSantis for uh, Patriots for DeSantis dot US, Patriots for DeSantis dot US, and sign up to the email list and all that stuff. Uh, and make sure you please share the website with your friends and all that stuff. But I really do hope that uh, what we're doing there changes the conversation national nationwide. Election 24 is already shaping up to be a doozy. I mean, as soon as even before November 8th happened, on November 7th, everyone was already starting to jockey for 2024. Both Democrats and Republicans. The Democrats will not lose this next election without cheating. They they will not. They will do everything they can. I mean, I mean, putting up a fight so I don't get deleted on YouTube. And the Republican Party needs courageous, faithful leaders who understand what it means to be truly conservative. And 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 really, when I keep saying what it means to be truly conservative, what it means to be truly conservative, it really starts with the foundation that all conservatism is based on Jesus. To conserve means to be based on Jesus. So with that said, I want to bring in my water break team. Uh, we got Rod in and Rhett in. Uh, good to see you, brothers. And you. Good to be here. We, um, uh, well, let, let me just start here. Let me start here with Rod. Rod, you're in Florida. And uh, you, uh, Florida just crushed it. I mean, yeah. It, Florida, really. Florida really had the only red wave. There was no red wave except for Florida. It was pretty extraordinary. And, and, and more, I think, than most people outside the state really realize. We, uh, we actually hit a majority in Republican voter registration for the first time ever this wow. year. Literally wow. ever. And we're up almost half a million on the Democrats. Wow. In that, you know, just in a few months, it, it's extraordinary what's happening here. Uh, we carried Palm Beach County, which is impossible. We carried Miami-Dade County, which is yep. also impossible. Uh, we have a majority on the city council down there. We have the Republican mayor, Francis wow. Suarez, is, is a very good mayor. Uh, wouldn't probably comport with some of the things you and I would want in mm -hmm. uh in a higher level politician on social issues and such, but he's doing a fantastic job in Miami, uh, much as Giuliani did a fantastic job in New York, but you probably wouldn't want him to be president. Uh, <laughs> we have, uh, we flipped the school board down there, not, not this I election, but a few months ago um, to majority conservative on, on parents' rights, CRT, all the things that you've been seeing elsewhere in the country. And a lot of that credit goes to Ron DeSantis, who, get this, four years ago got uh, got elected by a 30,000-vote margin. It was 0.41% wow. yeah. Yeah. better than Andrew Gillum. In this election, he won by a 1.5 million-vote margin, a 20-point wow. spread yep. against a man who was, in fact, a popular two-term governor. Charlie mm -hmm. Crisp. Now, Charlie's got some issues, needless to say, but to beat Charlie Crisp is actually a big deal, uh, mm -hmm. independent of all the other factors here. So, yes, we've gone from a purple state to a deep red state. Uh, we've got super majorities in the legislature, every statewide office. It's actually quite extraordinary. And a lot of the credit for that absolutely goes to Ron DeSantis. 
Yeah, that's it, it, it's it's amazing to see. I, you know, I mentioned in my monologue that uh, Reagan, I think, was the last executive to really increase the gains in significant way in this in his reelection campaign, and that's what happened with Ron DeSantis. Oh, and, and of course, Reagan was incredible. People don't remember this, but he won 49 states. He yep. would have won 50. He was only 10,000 votes behind <laughs> Walter Mondale in his home state in 1984. Wow. And if he'd done a rally in the last week, he'd have won Minnesota too. And he declined to do it because he didn't want to humiliate the guy in his home state. He's quite a gentleman and, and a good man. But yes, Ron DeSantis has the potential to be that caliber of candidate on the nationwide level. I'm quite convinced of it. I'm still a Trump supporter. I'm a little annoyed with the president just at the moment for the way he's been talking about the best governor in America. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if he doesn't run or God forbid he gets hit by a bus or whatever might happen, Ron DeSantis is the future of the Republican Party in this country. He's the Mm -hmm. future of America, whether it's Mm -hmm. 24, 28, whenever it is. You're going to have a president, Ron DeSantis. All right. So the the big question, who are you supporting, uh, Trump or Ron? At this moment, I'm still with Donald Trump. Donald mm-hmm. Trump, you know, certainly wasn't my choice in 2016. I, mm-hmm. I bundled for Ted Cruz, who's a good friend and, and believe in him. And I'm deeply disappointed that for all the reasons just stated, he, he's likely to not ever be president because he really ought to be. Maybe he can be chief justice of the Supreme Court or something. Yeah. But, but you know, Donald Trump earned his election in 2016. I did support him in the general very, very heavily. And, and again, in 2020, and um, mm-hmm. the man currently in the White House is, you know, really a, a ghastly shame. And I think he daily illustrates just how absurd the thought that he won that election really is. But nevertheless... Um, Donald Trump has to actually go win this nomination right now. Mm-hmm. He's ahead, you know, 70, yeah. and, and more power to him. He'll be a great president if he runs again, but mm-hmm. I am deeply, deeply disturbed by his willingness right now to waste fire on yeah. the best other guy in the Republican mm-hmm. party mm-hmm. instead of focusing fire on our opponents who are doing truly horrific things every single day. And uh, the president's going to have to get his act together and not do this. It's it's pointless. It isn't helping him. He's losing supporters every day that he's attacking Ron DeSantis. It's Mm -hmm. completely needless. Yeah. Rhett, what's your take on that, Uh, DeSantis or Trump? Where would you stand today? Sure. Well, first of all, I agree. I think it's stupid to make uh, a civil war in the Republican Party. And uh, I, too, wish Trump would kind of lay off what he's doing, mm-hmm. though that is who he is and that's what he's done. And if he perceives that DeSantis is in his way, I think we can expect that from him, whether I personally like it or not. I mm-hmm. think kind of looking forward, though, you know, the question is uh, between the two of them and uh I like both and would, you know, whichever one, you know, comes out the nominee, I would happily cast a vote for him. I think DeSantis is doing a great job. But I think the question is, you know, do we trust the system? You know, how how uh, how salvage, salvageable is the system that we have? And I think if you think that the system and I don't mean by system here, the, our official our official uh, you know, constitutional republic form of government. But I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of the, the sham of that that is. 
uh, on the ground with, you know, all sorts of uh, funding business going on with our elections and with uh, using the kind of permanent government FBI and those things to conservatives. If you think that system is salvageable, then Ron DeSantis is absolutely the better candidate. I mean, because he he has more discipline, you know, than Trump does. And he has, I think, broader appeal in a lot of ways than President Trump does. But if that system needs to be taken down, if that system needs to be humiliated and delegitimized, then I think Trump is, he's still the chemotherapy that that system needs in order to destroy it. And so that is, that's the question is, which one of those do we need? And uh, I'm still leaning towards we need to delegitimize mm-hmm. that sham of a system that we have. Oh, mm-hmm. we absolutely do. My only quibble with what you're saying is that Ron DeSantis does a fantastic job of that, too. Either one of these men would be a fantastic nominee in 24 for the purposes you've just stated. It does have to be taken down. What we're seeing, you know, the politicization of the DOJ, the FBI is is third world. It is, it is horrifying what we're seeing happening. We could go on and on about other Democrat policies, both, both official and unofficial. And of course, just the problems in the election system. The fact that we are still sitting here wondering about Arizona and Nevada is us beyond words. And mm-hmm. we had all kinds of irregularities in Philadelphia. Who are we kidding? Mm-hmm. You know, what's mm-hmm. going on in Georgia is, is painful mm-hmm. to watch, too. And it hasn't been fixed. The things that were a problem no. in 2020 have not been fixed in those places. No. But you'll notice wherever those things have been fixed or partly fixed, Republicans did extremely well. And I think that tells you an awful lot about what's really happening in the process, not the Constitution, not the system, but the administration of that system by the people who are in control in those areas. You know, I think um, a couple of things. I, I, I think it is atrocious that kind of the civil war that or whatever uh, Trump is doing by calling Ron DeSantis names and Glenn Yokin names and stuff. Uh, that 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 an f- in-house fire is is pretty silly because it's a it's over personalities. It's not even like uh, Trump isn't even making it over policy or issues. Like if one of those candidates were pro-choice, I would I would think that's fair game. But when you're sitting there attacking DeSantis for some sort of I don't even know personality or you know desanctimonious. Uh, that is that's pretty egregious. Ron DeSantis is the most Trump-like governor on a policy <laughs> level in this country, and you'll notice it's an entirely one-sided civil war. Donald Trump is doing this yeah. by himself and to mm-hmm. himself. He is mm-hmm. not hurting DeSantis. He's hurting mm-hmm. Donald Trump, and and I say that as a Trump supporter mm-hmm. every single day. I'm getting more heavy-duty Trump supporters telling me. What the heck is wrong with the president? I think I'm for DeSantis now. And mm-hmm. it, I mean, this is just a yeah. totally unforced error. That's right. Right. You had something? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, Trump doing that based on personality and whatever. That's that's what he's always done. The difference is here. He's doing it to, you know, one of his bases on because mm-hmm. those who are hardcore Trump supporters are also and at least up until a few days ago, were hardcore DeSantis supporters. Mm-hmm. But now that he is talking about DeSantis being an average governor and things like that, now that comes back personally on the people who are supporting Trump. And that's where I think he, he's running the danger of kind of jumping the shark and, and moving mm-hmm. past his time. Um, 
because he's is perceived, at least by those supporters, as being an attack on them as well. Yeah, it seems all about him in a petty way and in a way that is harmful to his own cause and his own policy positions. We should be lauding guys who came up in the system because Donald Trump intervened in that system mm -hmm. and gave mm -hmm. him an assist. It, 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 DeSantis won his primary in 2018 against a Bush Republican. Mm. He wouldn't have had a prayer in that race if Donald Trump hadn't gotten involved in it. And mm. Trump is now making that a negative for DeSantis. No, this is a Trump mm. success story. He should be lauding the guy and saying, mm. and if you want more Ron DeSantis's around the country, elect me president. That's it, right. it, just makes no sense to me what he's doing. It's mm -hmm. not at all like what he did to my friend Ted Cruz in, mm -hmm. in 2015 and 16, where mm -hmm. they were running neck and neck. Ron DeSantis isn't running against Donald Trump. What is yeah. he thinking? Yeah. What do you, what do you, well, go ahead. Please, uh, please, Rhett. I was say, it, it does seem like if there's one kind of positive or in defense of Trump here, he is doing what he always does in controlling the news cycle and controlling the media cycle. And he made, that's true. He made it. Trump versus DeSantis on his own terms, rather than waiting what he perceived maybe that somebody else was going to do that. And so he's doing it on his own terms and mm -hmm. he is controlling that like he always has. And I've seen enough over the last you know several years to not immediately knock that either. That could be mm -hmm. a good, you know, it could play out as a good strategy for him. I don't see it necessarily right now, but it could in the long run. Trump is very smart, and I, I always assume he knows what he's doing, but every once in a while he doesn't, like picking Dr. Oz, you know, yeah, you know yeah. and honestly, Herschel Walker, and I'm for Herschel Walker, don't misunderstand me, but he wasn't the strongest potential candidate in that yeah. race, and he and Oz have one thing in common. They're old friends of Donald Trump, and yeah. it felt self-indulgent when he did it. Mm -hmm. This thing with DeSantis seems self-indulgent. I don't want to second guess a man who has gotten so many things right, but he's making me think about it. And that's not a good thing for Donald Trump. Yeah. So that brings me to Pennsylvania. Um, a lot of the pundits are saying, well, Oz was a weak candidate, but, and that's why he lost. But I mean, Fetterman was a weak candidate. You know, oh, Fetterman's awful. He was worse Fetterman than Oz. had the entire Democrat machine behind him. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's always an uphill battle for a Republican in Pennsylvania, even on a completely even playing field. And this playing field wasn't. So again, what was uneven and, about and, it? And what was way, uneven? What was really uneven? Engage the Republican base. Do you really want a Muslim guy who is weak yeah. on a lot of our issues? Yeah. I mean, it just, yeah. he wasn't the best candidate. Herschel yeah. Walker's with us on everything, but again, yeah. eh, yeah. What was what was uneven about the Pennsylvania race? You said is uneven filled. Well, it's uneven because, first of all, that is not a Republican majority space. And, and a lot of the issues that work very well in Mississippi or Arkansas or Texas or Florida just don't play as well in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. So you already have that. But I would contend that what we are seeing in in election irregularities, for YouTube's sake, uh, in Nevada and Arizona are on steroids in Pennsylvania and particularly in the Philadelphia area. We saw that in a very big way in 2020. I don't mm. think any of that's meaningfully gone away. And, you know, so you're going to have to be outside the margin of fraud 
to have a chance. And mm-hmm. when you run a guy who's basically your candidate because he's good on television and he's a friend of the ex-president, that's not necessarily the best way to go at it. Now, having said that, let me be quick to say the vast, overwhelming majority of Trump-endorsed candidates won. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's overwhelming. It's like 200 of them won to 19 who Mm -hmm. lost or may have lost. So I'm not knocking the president's endorsement picks in general. But Mm -hmm. yeah, there are a couple of areas where it's kind of scratch your head. And those are two of them. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, like Oprah Winfrey, who she's the one who platformed Dr. Oz in the first place in a major way, uh, endorsed Fetterman and all this and all the other Democrats. You know, even in Pennsylvania, I referenced earlier in my monologue that Pennsylvania was the one who de- who voted for the dead guy, the dead Democrat, wow. and the dead Democrat won. <laughs> I, I, I just can't make sense out of Pennsylvania very well. I, I don't even see Democrats. I mean, because Fetterman won by about 600,000 votes. That was a lot. Yeah. And I just well, can't, I just have a hard time seeing like even overwhelmingly that the Democrats elected Fetterman over, over us. Well, and when I say a weaker candidate, let me be very clear. I'm not saying, oh, Pennsylvania is purple or maybe blue. So mm-hmm. run a moderate. That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'm saying run a guy who can articulate a strong conservative message mm-hmm. as a choice, not an echo. Mm-hmm. You know, if you elect Fetterman, you get this. If you get me, you get this very different thing that I'm now going to articulate in a way that is winning to independence. Mm-hmm. And Oz wasn't that guy. Oz wasn't ever that guy. Starting no. with, he's not really a conservative. No, yeah. and he wasn't. He wasn't America First guy at all. That's what. That's what was the craziest no. thing about that endorsement was. He really didn't line up with Trump. But he's Trump's old friend, and no. and that's my point. It was. It seemed self indulgent, and no. Herschel Walker too. I mean, they go back to the. My goodness, they go back to the eighties. So no. you know, nothing wrong with that. But mm-hmm. was Herschel Walker the best candidate in that race? No, I, mm-hmm. I don't think he was. I, for him, God mm-hmm. bless him. May he mm-hmm. win and be mm-hmm. a senator forever. But, <laughs> you know, was he the strongest candidate in that environment? Mm-hmm. No, yeah. not really. What do you what do you make of – so I mentioned also in my monologue that I think kind of like the Ron DeSantis, you know – he, I think he did take kind of Trump's platform and make it more palatable and make it better. Uh, and, and then, of course, it, that demonstrated in the results of his, his reelection. Uh, what do you think is, is kind of the, you know, um, strong platform moving forward? I'll start with you, Rhett. Well, I think strong platform moving forward. I, I do think we need to go uh, and kind of build off what President Trump did. But if I could if I could tweak that question just a little bit and try mm-hmm. to make sense. So I'm a, I'm a pastor, not a political pundit. And so that's why I want to transition just a little bit. Uh, because w- when I try to make sense of what you're just talking about in Pennsylvania, I want to try to make sense of it and, and nationally as well in just a little bit different way. And that is, I think we're getting the, the leaders that we deserve. And mm-hmm. so, that's uh, true. And, and so I'm seeing a, just what I can only perceived to be God's judgment in a lot of ways. And what we're getting, we're letting a dead guy and we're electing somebody like Fetterman. And we have somebody like Biden in office. There's a connection between the character of our people and who we elect to office. And so 
there are political strategies uh, and, and platforms that you're talking about. And I want to leave that to those with a bit of bit better political mind. But I think for Christians going forward, we do need some distinctly and truly Christian political action. We need to exercise our political will. We need to do that shrewdly. But we also need to be uh, culture building. We need massive evangelism. I mean, what this election revealed to me, it was just in a lot of ways, vast swaths of our country just we're a morally bankrupt people. I mean, you saw the Montana uh, referendum where they voted down providing, requiring uh, hospitals to provide medical care to infants born alive. I mean, that is mm. just mm. grievous and awful. And mm. so when I think about what we need to do going forward, I'll leave the political strategies to those more equipped for that. But I want to help equip God's people to live in this environment. And I think what we really need is a massive focus on evangelism. We need uh, a massive focus on education. What we're seeing mm -hmm. is, a, is a product of uh, our education system over generations. We need uh, church reform. We need revival and reformation throughout the country. And so that is where I want to focus. And I want to cheer on those who are giving good policy uh, platforms like Governor DeSantis and yeah. what I hope you know, President Trump will do if, if, if he runs as well. But I want to make that connection between our character and the leaders that we get. And that helps us make sense of what we saw on, on Tuesday. I think the reason we didn't get this massive conservative wave is because we're not a massively conservative country. Mm. I mean, we're getting what we deserve. That's well, really I, I'm Rod Martin, and I approve that message, so, you know, 100%. But I don't want to take it too far because the other side of that is Miami-Dade County is 98% unchurched mm. and just mm. went for Ron DeSantis, uh, Republican city council, Republican mayor, conservative school board fighting CRT and fighting transgenderism. So, so our message is always saleable. The question is, do we sell it? And we mm -hmm. have to remember that, you know, and I, I don't say this in any way getting into soteriology, but, you know, the, the new covenant puts an emphasis on persuasion. You know, you're to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Well, okay, that's teaching, that's education, that's preaching, that's a lot of things, but at its core, it's a message of persuasion. We aren't Muslims. We aren't sent out to do it by the sword. So, you know, understanding that we have a duty to persuade. We have a duty to make the message tailored to the audience. Paul does that very differently in Jerusalem than he does on Mars Hill. And, and we see this again and again through scripture. In Florida, we were persuasive. In Pennsylvania, we weren't very persuasive. And this has been a big problem for, for Republicans generally. Uh, uh, but you asked originally, Gabe, you know, mm -hmm. what should the message be? Well, yep. clearly, point one, culture war works. That's for right. A hundred percent. has gone into cloud cuckoo land from mm -hmm. the perspective of most Americans. So if you can articulate that, why it actually hurts people and what you would do differently that would help people, that's a winning issue again and again and again, whether you're talking about critical race theory in the schools, uh, transgenderism for kindergartners, abortion, all those things win where we mm -hmm. articulate it well. Second, we are and ought to be increasingly the party of the working class. 
And what people have never quite gotten is that capitalism is not and never has been the philosophy of big business. That's right. It's the philosophy of the little guy trying to get ahead. Mm -hmm. I'm just a poor kid from Arkansas. We did a few things that worked out kind of cool, like PayPal and some other things we're about to announce. And uh, that's been awesome. But I wasn't anybody special and I wasn't from anybody special and I certainly didn't have any money. Capitalism means that if my idea works and I can get my act together, we can build something that is as important Mm -hmm. as anything else in the world. Mm -hmm. Big business is usually opposed to that because once they have a certain amount of money, they realize that they can buy politicians with it. And they Mm -hmm. use that to use the force of government to cripple their competitors and to have unfair advantages. The Republican Party needs to stand up for Main Street and the little guy. Mm -hmm. And and by the way, in a lot of cases, labor unions, you know, things that historically we've been opposed to because of excesses that may not apply Mm -hmm. anymore. There are a lot of things we can do now that are resonating in places like Mm -hmm. South Florida with Hispanic and black voters who historically mm-hmm. have ignored us and suddenly we're competing very well with because they get what we're saying mm-hmm. and they identify with who we are because we're identifying with who they are. We didn't change what we believe, but we did change the messaging and we mm-hmm. started paying attention to people who've been left out. Mm-hmm. That is transformative. And the more, and back to your point, Rhett, the more Democrats stray from Christian belief, the more they lose blacks and Hispanics who are overwhelmingly in churches. They might, you can dispute some of what they believe unquestionably, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it's white leftists who have abandoned the church in mass. Mm -hmm. And the more they create that God gap, the more opportunity we're going to have to fill it Mm -hmm. and to make America better. That's that's really good, Rod. Um, I you know one of the things I remember happening. I think it was in the 2015, 2016, the election leading up to 2016, was that the conservative party was starting to really discourage, you know, fighting and building a platform off the social issues, um, which is a huge mistake. Huge mistake. I, I remember thinking about like what are conservatives doing? And I think that's where the log cabin Republican Party, I think, started to get some major gains in the Republican Party. Uh, you know, um, but then comes Trump, and that's basically his platform one on the social issues, immigration yes. and so forth. And yes, of course, exactly. Trump Trump was also very screwed up on the social issues too. Um homosexuality and so forth but like he went full into the social issues and that's largely why he won and i'm kind of seeing the same thing with ron DeSantis. but what makes me nervous about the conservatives and the social issues is you know guys like dave rubin um guys uh i mean there's a there's a huge homosexual influence uh coming in of course i don't i don't mind getting their vote i want them to vote for us if they're reasonable you know conservative principles and they like you know small government all that stuff please vote all day but at the same time i don't really want them getting a leadership hold in the conservative party how do you sort through that social issue well you get involved in the party you get involved in primaries but also in party organization 
It's persuasion. Yet again, if you actually want to have a say over these things, you have to involve yourself and you have to organize to win. It's the same problem we have in the Southern Baptist Convention. We have not yet won a presidential election in the two years we have contested those elections, but we will. I mm -hmm. fully believe we're going to win in New Orleans in, in June. Mm -hmm. And it's because the more people hear the message, first of all, they're going to have to hear your message many times for it to sink in. Mm -hmm. If we were talking about the TV ad, we'd say you have to hear the ad seven times before people actually start hearing it and acting on it. Right. Same kind of thing. It takes time. If you're expecting an overnight solution, you're not being realistic about how you got into the problem in the first place. Second, the Republican Party's electorate is overwhelmingly conservative. And what we're seeing over and over is that independents are too, but you have to motivate them and you have to explain to them why it's worth their while to be with you. So mm. if we can get the messaging right and we can show character in doing so and we can mm -hmm. give them policies that actually work, mm -hmm. these aren't rocket science things. You know, take abortion. You know, I don't think you're going to be able to have an outright abolitionist bill pass any quicker in most of America than you were able to abolish uh, slavery in England when Wilberforce was fighting That's for right. it. That's, That's a right. long, long mm -hmm. discussion. But you can get there because babies shouldn't be murdered. I mean, no. it's, it's really that simple. If you can persuade people that some abortion is wrong, you eventually persuade them that all abortion is wrong. If you mm -hmm. can persuade them that the baby in the womb is a person, you eventually apply the 14th Amendment to all persons. And you get there, and it won't be instant, but mm -hmm. it does take a lot of patient persuasion. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of principle. We can't negotiate on the principle even while we understand that we don't have a voting majority for everything we believe in quite yet. Again, mm -hmm. he who shows up wins. Mm -hmm. Now, Rod, I think I agree with a lot of your analysis. Um, and so this is just, you know, more of a friendly pushback. Uh, I remember oh, I was actually just watching these clips on, on a Thursday this last week where RC Sproul said, I think back in like the eighties, um, he's like, you know, because he, he's a big proponent of the pro-life movement. He spoke at a lot of pro-life organizations. And and he was just like, if we could just show them an ultrasound, if we could just prove to um, uh, them that, you know, uh, it's really a baby inside the womb. Mm -hmm. He's like, it'll change the whole conversation. It'll change everything. And 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 now the – I mean, there's just an article uh, in um, – Washington Post or the nation, the nation, excuse me, the nation uh, back in June where the lady was just arguing, like, why don't we just be honest and telling and, and just tell them that we're killing a baby in the mother's womb. Let's just be honest. That's what we're doing. And, and we're doing it because there, there's positive goods that come out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was the argument. And, and then RC Sproul, I think uh, later in the early two thousands, um, now I watched this clip where he just said, you know, I used to think that all we had to do was show him uh, that there was a baby in the in the womb. And, and I think I was I was wrong about that. I think I but RC I, wasn't wrong. He, he thinks he's wrong, but he wasn't. Yeah. If you see a, a sonogram of somebody else's baby, it may or may not persuade you. It actually mm -hmm. does have some persuasive force. If you see a sonogram of your own baby 
the number of those women who actually go through with an abortion is minuscule. Mm. It is staggeringly persuasive if mm. the woman with the baby sees the sonogram of her baby. Mm -hmm. Now, you're going to have to actually have the ability to get her a sonogram, which she isn't going to want, generally speaking, and mm. her see it for her to have a chance of being persuaded by it. Mm. But it's an incremental thing, and there's not a silver bullet. I think where RC thinks he erred, and I, I think he's mistaken, but I, I think where he thinks he's, er he's erred, and on this it might be true, is thinking that's a silver bullet. Mm -hmm. If everybody sees somebody else's sonogram, they'll be persuaded. Sure. And that's not really how that works. It has to be personal. But eventually we figured out that black people are people too and we believe it is self-evident that all men were created equal mm -hmm. and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights mm -hmm. and when we got to that point whether we did it the way we did it in america or they did it the way they did it in england with mm -hmm. wilberforce's efforts mm -hmm. you eventually get to a different collective understanding and then that holds for centuries the the christians in early rome largely ended abortion for two millennia and mm -hmm. you know and the games as well so you know you you have this long struggle in which you're moving a collective consciousness in a, in a particular direction and then somebody wins and mm -hmm. it lasts mm -hmm. and the other team has not won this they have been able to make it stick for some period of time but i think we're going to win this ultimately because Let's be real, guys. A baby is a baby. Killing them is wrong. Yeah. You know, uh, Red, I want you to have the last word on this. Um, uh, I like, I mean, I do think there's something to what Rod's arguing about, just kind of the pragmatic um, uh, uh, tool of persuasion uh, and all this. But then, of course, at the same time, uh, you know, we have uh, a society that's, you know, operating, you know, on Moloch's principles and and kids drag shows. And, and so we have this element of where society is getting worse. Uh, and, and persuasion does seem to be largely ineffective for the, uh, the balkanized left, if you want to call it that, mm -hmm. um, you know, so, uh, from your pastoral perspective, how do we kind of proceed and sort through this? We want to, not only do we want to win the culture for Christ, uh, you know, but we also want to, we want our conservative views, our conservative politics. We think it's best for society. Sure. And I, I agree with what Rod said there. And I agree that we need persuasion and that things like sonograms and things are persuasive. But at the same time, I think we need to we need to make sure that we're budgeting into our analysis the depths of evil that goes uh, into 100%. abortion and that we need to realize the depravity that that we're dealing with. And we're not going we're not going to overcome that outside of the power of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so you're asking earlier, Gabe, about, you know, these other kind of socially liberal, but fiscally conservative, you know, kind of folding that into the conservative movement. And I think there is some, you know, you can get some short term gains uh, through, you know, co-belligerency with mm -hmm. uh, these unbelieving uh, Republicans, you know, I don't know if I want to call them conservatives or not, but, you know, there is some some alliance there. You can get some short term political gain there. But in the long run, Christless conservatism is not going to bear the fruit mm -hmm. that we want to see. The mm -hmm. fruit that we want to see in our country grows on one type of tree, and that tree mm -hmm. is a cross. And so mm -hmm. I want us, I want, I want Christians to be the ones leading. And yeah, there might be some other people that will, 
you know, be co-belligerents with, but they need, need to be following the leadership of the Christians. And it needs mm-hmm. to be unashamedly uh, tied to the scriptures. And yeah. so it's not just that a baby is a baby. That is persuasive. And I think we need to use that. I'm not disagreeing with Rob there. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, abortion is wrong, not just because uh, we naturally know that a baby is a baby. We ought not to murder. Mm-hmm. That that is true. It's also wrong because God says so. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to base what you know this political movement going forward, this cultural movement going forward, based on what does God say? What has God said in His book for us? And that needs to drive us, especially Christian political action. Gentlemen. Thanks for your time. I really think this is actually one of the best uh, discussions on election 2022 that I've been a part of this last week. So um, really appreciate your time, Rod and Rhett and uh, Lord bless you. And we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. I'll be in Canada next week. Thanksgiving's off. And so we'll be back at it in December. Outstanding. Okay, thanks, Rod. All right. All right. As I mentioned, Psalm 20, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the Lord, our God, you know? And so, um, as we uh, kind of reflect on this last week, it's what we always should. Uh, we need to remember that God is sovereign over everything. And, and ultimately, as we said, you know, David uh, Knox made a really good point this last week on our show that, man, local elections are the most important. I mean, look at what Ron DeSantis did in Florida. He created and protected and paved the way for a lot of liberties uh, during COVID 2020. And a lot of people moved there because of that. And, and, and I think, I think the Lord rewarded him for a reelection and a, a strong reelection. And hopefully Ron has the humility to see that. Uh, but, but that's where the fight is. It's local. If we get Biden in 2024, if the fight's still local, if we get Trump or a conservative president in 2024, the fight's still local. But, but part of what it means that the fight is local is that you are engaging in that fight and of course building your family educating your kids and knowledge fear of the lord all that stuff is part of what it means to be local and but if you're going to tend your garden locally it also includes the garden out in front of your house the garden at city hall the garden at the you know the community events uh you know you got it we got to engage outside of the walls of our house and outside the walls of our church that's what god has called us to do to build cities build garden cities and so uh you know really think about how you can you know as your gifts and your abilities you're raising kids you're raising uh you're working hard you know as as you have available time think about how you can engage the garden outside of your house and outside of your church so of course god is sovereign over all so build on what god has has in front of you and until next week go fight laugh and feast this is the water boy with water break Hi, I'm Robert Borton, CEO of Classical Conversations, the world's largest classical Christian homeschooling community. I'm launching a new podcast, Refining Rhetoric. If you like cross-politics or just listen to hear what crazy stuff they're saying today, you will enjoy Refining Rhetoric. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform. I practice the 15 tools of learning by interviewing great guests, looking at current events, and talking about cryptocurrency. Putting off writing that proposal again? Yeah, we've been there. Proposal writing can be tough. It takes work. And if you're not careful, you can set up your company for failure. Well, that's where we come in. Smart Pricing Table is an innovative application that focuses on 
Well, the pricing table. Instead of a static document and constant back and forth, our platform creates interactive proposals that empower your prospects. Not sure if something is needed? Make it optional. Have complicated services that vary? Let your customer do the work with line item upsells. Have reoccurring services? Easy peasy. With Smart Pricing Table, you can create attractive proposals quickly. And our system is built for reuse, so you can get out of that hamster wheel. Give your customers choice and close deals quickly with Smart Pricing Table.